Think about it. Everything is polluted. The environment, the government, the schools, you name it. We're on Uncensored tonight. Nice, clean little bandwidth. No one else is using it. Price is right. I like the idea that a voice can just go somewhere uninvited like a dirty thought in a nice, clean mind. Guess who? It's me again. It's a little attitude for all of you in white bread land. It's five o'clock. Do you care what the mainstream media says? You out there? You listening? Are you out there? Are you? Oh, geez. Wrong button. <laughs> Are you out there? Are you listening? I know you can hear me and you get to see a a quick stinger. There we go. There we go. Now we're in business. Uh, Brothers Uncensored is live right about now. You're looking live at the uh, foxhole.app. The foxhole.app is where you're seeing us right now. The most uh, important app that's out there right now. The only app that is supported by true patriots that want to have free speech in our country saved. Without this app, I don't think we would still be able to get the words out there and important stories that we're going to bring you today. We have a very important guest for you guys here today. I want to get hop right to it. Just give me one second here to do some quick business. The Foxhole.app is where you can find us. You can also find us at uncensoredabe.com. Here is the website. Just been revamped. Uh, every single podcast that's out there, if, you've, if you have a podcast app, then we're on it. Brothers Uncensored, just search for us. You can find us there. Joe Flynn's interview from yesterday is up. If you missed that, you missed a great discussion with uh, General Flynn's brother, Joe Flynn. It was a really good discussion. If you missed that, check that out. The video is up live on the website as well. Scroll down a little bit more. You can see where you can find us. Foxhole, Twitch, YouTube, ain't. YouTube don't want us. Fuck them. We don't, well, then, then fine. We'll go somewhere else. DLive, uh, uh, Cloud Hub, and Tiger Network, as well as other places you can find us. Finally, the blog is up. All the, all the important stories today, what's happening down at the border, what's happening in our d- disastrous government. Uh, anything that's happening in the news today, you can find that here. The most important stories in the blog. Finally, scroll down just a little bit more. Cash App, Patreon, PayPal, help support us. I need, I need help. Get me into the red, out of the red, please. Help support in, independent journalism and people that are trying to bring you the truth that's happening out there. If you join our Patreon, you get access to our private Discord. At which point, you can see behind the scenes and uh, information that is going on with the show, uh, as well as you know what Don's cooking or what Joe's cooking or uh, what do I have going on in the world. Uh, that's what you can see there. Finally, I want to welcome my bro Joe into the show here today. What's going on, bro? How are you today? What's up, brother? Glad to be here again with you. Uh, I see everybody out there in Foxhole, Daddy Crab, Texas Girl, One Eagle Five, Gary Flesner, uh, Kristen 33, Amy, Joe, God loves you. Uh, all kinds of patriots out there. I am super excited. Again, today we have Michael Yon. He is a former Green Beret native of Winter Haven, Florida. Uh, which uh, I can't blame him for being in Florida, uh, who has been writing uh, from Iraq and Afghanistan since 2000, uh, t- 2004. No other writer has spent as much time with combat troops in these two wars. Michael's dispatches from the front lines have earned him the reputation as the premier independent combat writer of his generation. He also has a couple of good books out, Danger Close and Moment of Truth in Iraq. Michael, welcome to the show, sir. How are you doing today? 
Great. I'm in Panama City, Panama, and not Panama City, Florida. Because when I tell people I'm in Panama City, they're like, how's Florida? I'm like, well, it's the other Panama City. So I was just, you know, I was up at the, um, well, I spent more than half of my life overseas. And, but I came back last year to the United States uh, when I realized that we have a lot of trouble. And I flew straight to Portland and was out there watching Antifa and BLM do their thing. And I would just dress up like a homeless guy and kind of hang out out that I was growing scruffy, you know, and all that. And, um, and uh, so listening to them out there at nighttime, I was doing the same in, in places like Atlanta and Philadelphia and Washington, DC. I was there when they did the Capitol attack. I didn't go inside, but I was right there. And uh, then I was there for the inauguration as they put up what appeared to be miles of walls, even though when they stopped the wall on the Southern border, right after the inauguration, I flew down to Texas to check out the, um, situation there i flew down with chuck holton actually or to meet chuck holton he's a very well-known war correspondent former army ranger and former army helicopter later uh, helicopter pilot and uh and then um we 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 went uh into all along the texas border especially not all along but the el paso area and then out in uh, new mexico that crossed over into mexico a few times just day trips then we flew down to um, Colombia, the country of Colombia, and started checking the migration route up through what's called the Darien Gap into Panama. So that's why I'm in Panama, because we left Colombia and came here and have been checking the migration routes because there's a there's more than there's many migration routes, but some of the main ones, one of the main arteries goes through South America and it goes up through Colombia through that funnel, and then it goes to the Darien Gap. That's where Panama and Colombia uh, hook up right there. They go through about 60 miles of jungle because there's no road for about 60 miles. And it's very rough, mountainous, super jungle. Uh, tons of people die out there through every sort of thing, falling or getting bitten by snakes or uh, getting killed by drug traffickers, FARC rebels. Uh, every pretty woman gets raped according to people that come out of there. Uh, many people are, everybody's robbed. Uh, it's a, you know, many people just die out there and often children come out the other side. We just made video and photos of hundreds of people going in on the Columbia side, but m including many children that are just like infants, like less than a year old. Um, and how are they going to get, and children that come out the other side sometimes in Panama without parents pretty often actually, because the parents are killed uh, or, or die out there and somebody picks up the children and actually takes them out. But a lot of children die out there as well. And uh, then they they end up in Panama. It, it's just a, it's really a hell trip. And um, anyway, if they make it into Panama alive, then from there they move up to Costa Rica, Nicaragua, keep going north, Honduras, El Salvador, up to Mexico, and finally El Paso and New Mexico, Arizona, and California. And then they end up in Illinois. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. they end up all over the United States. Yeah, uh, we've seen plenty of that. I, I want to get into the stories of everything you've seen. I'm showing some of the pictures of, of uh, your most recent blog post of Panama, uh, the, the travels and the pictures that you have along the way. It's it's quite the amazing story. Uh, the first thing I really want to know, though, is is kind of who is Michael? I mean, I you uh, your story is is uh, compelling isn't the word for it. It is uh, harrowing. It is a life experience of telling the stories that really haven't been told either on the battlefield or 
uh, the stories of uh, of our world uh, and the, the humanity's destruction. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Can you tell me a little bit about when you grow up, when you grew up, and uh, you know your experience of of after high school and into, I'm assuming you went to, to college or, or straight into the military. Can you talk about that time of your life? That what brought you the experiences to get you to here? Sure. I mean, really tracking back, my family came over in 1609 and got shipwrecked on Bermuda, and uh, finally made it to Jamestown in 1610. We know that because there was an author with my that was my mother's side. And actually, my uncle was born on Bermuda. His name was Bermudas, and his godfather married Pocahontas. So we go pretty far back. Uh, and so, so I'm, it's like one of those wow. Forrest Gump uh, families where everybody served in every war type thing. And so I grew up in Florida and uh, grew up, you know, catching alligators and doing a lot of sports, chasing girls, that sort of thing. I didn't realize that Winter Haven, Florida was actually a great place to grow up because it Gave me enough room to be a wild boy out literally catching alligators, you know, that sort of thing. And, but enough uh, schooling that I could actually read <laughs> and, uh, and read well, actually quite, it was a really good school system. Uh, but in, uh, in the 1980s, Ray, President Reagan was doing a big buildup of the military, uh, trying to crack the Soviet Union, which succeeded that and economic pressures and other pressures. And so during that time, they were allowing young people to try out for special forces straight out of basic training in AIT and that sort of thing. So I joined the army. Uh, I, I, it was, it was a tough decision whether or not to go for seals or go for special forces, but seals would not give you a straight, would not give you a guaranteed shot. So I went to the army, uh, because special forces would actually give you a contract. You would at least get to go to the Q course. And so I went through basic graduated. Number one, went to AIT, went to airborne, showed up at Fort Bragg went through the Q course, graduated first time, no recycles and all that. Immediately ended up in jail after I got somebody attacked me and I killed him in a fist fight. And so I went to jail and anyway, oh, wow. got cleared of those charges later. And uh, when, I, when I got cleared of those charges, I went to DLI for German, a Defense Languages Institute. And then I was in 10th Special Forces Group and I was on two A teams uh, at two different times, of course. And, uh, and our target country was Poland. And so I spent several years studying Poland and went to another language school for Polish, but it was a kind of a minor school. Oh, man, and, that's where uh, I grew. And then later, My family's uh, history is, is from southwestern Poland. It's, something, it's always a place that has, is uh, deep in my heart. I, I would love to just pick your brain on that. Go ahead, though. <laughs> oh, Poland's something else, man. They're great allies, too. I love yeah. Poland. So I, I ended up living in Poland for two years after the Army. And I, I went to... Uh, school, of course, but I, did, I uh, only went to, I got a two-year degree. I wanted to become a physicist. And, and then I realized at some point, I'm a little bit too, uh, too much of a wild man to sit down and do physics, although I love uh, sciences. And that's why you see in my writing is pretty specific often, and I'm pretty scientific in my way of thinking and that sort of thing. It's because I grew up most of my life thinking I would become a physicist, but instead I became a lot of other things. And so uh, I ended up in Poland, started a business there and uh, after school, and then later uh, had a couple more businesses. And finally, I began writing in the late 90s and published my first book, Danger Close, which was really about growing up in Florida and going through special forces, uh, uh, Q course, and, and then doing special forces things for a while. And, uh, and then, you know, obviously going to jail for killing that guy and then got you know, got released and cleared and that sort of thing. 
And, uh, and then later, uh, when I went into writing, uh, I, my first book got a lot of great reviews, Danger Close. And I started working on other work and I ended up in, you know, I, I love to travel. So I ended up in uh, India of all places, a place I'd never dreamed of or even thought about going to. And I just happened to get on the trail of some cannibals over there. So I went cannibal hunting. You know, some people go big game hunting, but I went cannibal hunting because I got on the trail of one from Texas, from Houston, right? Really? And I found him. It took six months. It was very difficult man hunting, but I got him and I uh, found him in a restaurant. And that's where the adventure really began. And uh, oh, well, that's an epic story. And then, you know, the wars broke out with Iraq uh, and, you know, because of 9-11. Happened. Wait, so you're and, saying uh, cannibalism does exist in this crazy world? Not only does it exist, but I've got videos and photos. So, I mean, it's like it exists. I can take you literally 48. Well, you have to get the COVID test. But after we land in India, within 48 hours, I could I could show you some cannibals. And this I is mean, just it in took third, me a long time. Just in third world countries or is this prevalent all around the world? Uh, well, that's a tough question. What's prevalent? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it is there. I mean, you can see it happens all over the world, whether it's through insanity or survival or some people fetish or some people, uh, I mean, there's many reasons why people do cannibalism. Uh, but what got me on the, on the trail was really happenstance. I mean, I was just exploring Asia. I was rolling around Thailand and Cambodia and Laos and that wow. sort of thing. And a friend was over in India and he said it was somebody I had traveled with in Nicaragua before in Costa Rica and Panama, actually. And so, and I said, so I'll come over and take a look at India. And within about the first three weeks, I was like, okay, this is officially crazy. You know, I've never been to a country like this. Sure. You know, at this point, in my, at this time, you know, in 2021, I've been to 76 countries that I've really been to. I don't mean airport stops. I mean, like really been there wow. and all over the United States, like most, uh, except for Alaska, right? I've been all over the United States. And so I've seen a lot of things. So I now divide the world into two countries, India and all the rest. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, you know, the thing about India is just anything might be true. You know, uh, if somebody says, oh, yeah, in India, they'll take babies and throw them off a three-story building and catch them in blankets like fireman blankets, you'd be like, nobody would do that. Go to YouTube and look. They do. <laughs> or they worship rats. Yep, they do. You know, so when wow. I hear about, the, when I heard about the cannibals, at first, uh, I was, it was just by happenstance. And at first I thought, is this bullshit? Because everything in India is subject to being bullshit and everything <laughs> is being subject to being true. You know what I mean? Sure. So when you've got it, when you've hired a guide, he might go, well, this is a good story. This always gets me an extra two hours of payment or something, you know? And so I'm like, is this guy telling the truth or what? I've got my bullshit sensors tuned on the highest setting, you know? <laughs> and uh, I'm like, I think he's telling the truth. Ah, it can't be true. Cannibals. And uh, so I went back to my guest house and I'm, you know, I start telling the guy, he's like, oh, yes, be very careful. Naga Baba, so, so dangerous, sir. And I'm like, okay. So the next morning I go out to my boat, boatman. I hire a boatman each morning because I like to, when the sun's coming up, I like to be out there to photograph birds. I love to photograph birds. Oh, wow, birds. that's awesome, yeah. And so, so I'm out there on the Ganges River, right? That's the main river, Holy River in India. And I'm asking the boatman about it. And he's like, oh, yes, Naga Baba, very dangerous. Sir. And he's telling me. And, uh, and then he starts telling me about one of his friends who's a cannibal. I'm like, am I on candid camera? Is this like a joke? I mean, is everybody? And, uh, and finally, I, 
I'm like, okay, where does he live? And he's like, right there. He, uh -uh. It wasn't like, no. it wasn't giving me non-specific information, like out in the jungle, five Holy mountains cow. back, I might see him when it rains or something. It was like, he lives right there. And I'm like, can I go see him? He's like, go look, you know? So anyway, that sort of thing. So I started checking wow. different things. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. There really are cannibals. And some Americans are involved. That was clear, but I wasn't sure if it was true that Americans was, were involved. But so I started tracking and yeah, it turned out to be true. Absolutely true. Wow. And uh, I tracked them down. It took a long time. So I tracked all around India, I got quite a few of them. And then I went back to California and uh, infiltrated the cult of these guys up in Sonoma, which is north of San Francisco. And oh yeah, researched I know, I know that area well. Uh, it was epic, man. It was epic. And then, then the wars kept picking up. And uh, I mean, I was having the time of my life cannibal hunting. Some people are like, I'm going to go to Africa and shoot an elephant. I'm like, dude, I'm going to India and I'm hunting cannibals. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I, I don't have a gun, you know. And so you, you get to use all of your skills, though. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, you better be switched on. You know what I mean? You better be getting your sleep and, and be ready and alert because this is this is a live fire. Uh, this is not an exercise. This is a live fire and, event. <laughs> this is no drill, you know. And yeah. so, but, you know, I ended up tracking them down and, oh, it's just, it just gets more interesting from there. And, and finally, though, two of my friends were killed in Iraq. One was Scott Heldenston. He was the number one, uh, the, the youngest Navy SEAL in history, actually. We used to work out together in high school. His name's Scott Heldenston. But he, um, I say he was a SEAL when he was 17 and nobody believes me. I'm like, hold on web search his name scott helvinston and you'll see that he actually in like five minutes you'll wow. see that he actually did get through when he was that's he was impressive incredible athlete he was super tough we used to play football together and used to work out together in the gym and i went green beret and he went seal so scott got killed on march um 31st in fallujah he was one of the blackwater uh uh uh, contractors who was killed and hanged off the bridge. Yeah, that's where so I should have been. Killed, and then the day before that, one of my Green Beret friends, Richard Ferguson from 10th Group, he was killed also in Iraq in uh, Samara. So I went to their funerals. I went to uh, Richard's funeral in Colorado. He was my Green Beret teammate. And then I went to Scott's funeral in Florida. And uh, and the SEALs were like, hey, you should go over to Iraq. And I'm like, I'm not going. It's dangerous, man. And, uh, and uh, the Green Berets I knew a lot of them. They're like, you know, you should go to Iraq. And I still wasn't going to do it. Uh, and so that was, that would be April of 2004. And so that was April of 2004 because they were killed on March 30th and March 31st on different days. And um, so, so you were there during, was, you were in Iraq during the, oh, I forgot the name of it. It just, I just had it and I lost it. There was those, those camps uh, that they were holding all of the uh, Bathists and, uh, you know, Al-Qaeda affiliated, whatever, whatever you'd like to call them, uh, the radical elements. And they, they had kept those in all these main camps where they were doing uh, all kinds of interrogations. You were there during that time? Is that about the same time? Uh, you're talking about Fallujah, I think. Uh, I mean, not Fallujah. You're talking about uh, Abu Ghraib. Yes. Which and, is, and which the, is uh, by... And the that, other one, Fallujah, too. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, well, Abu Ghraib is right at Fallujah, actually. But so, yeah, I... In April of 2004, they were killed in March, and uh, and then I went to their funerals in April, and I still wasn't going to go, but another friend of mine from Winter Haven, uh, went to Winter Haven High School, his name was Rodney Morris, he was, a, he was a very good friend, we used to work out together as well, but he was still in the Army, and he was, a, he was the Provost Marshal for 1st Infantry Division at Tikrit, 
And Rodney kept calling on Skype. That was when I learned what Skype was and saying, come to Iraq. And I'm like, I'm not going to Iraq. That's crazy. Uh, you know, it's very dangerous. I don't want to go to the war. And he's like, you're cannibal hunting. What could be more? I'm like, well, you know, you got a point. So anyway, <laughs> then they, you know, then they, they, then Operation Phantom Fury started with uh, Fallujah. That was in about October of 2004. That was the second big attack on Fallujah, Operation Phantom Fury. And so that was when I realized, I said, you know, we're, there's a clear insurgency going on. So I told Rodney, I said, okay, I'll come over. So I went in December of 2004, landed in Iraq, and immediately I was like, which units are in the most combat that'll take me? So I started going to heaviest combat, and within a few months, so that was that was December of 2004. By January 23rd of 2005, I think was my first. Um, I put a I started a little blog, and uh, that was my first entry. I think was J January 23rd, and within about three months, I had millions of readers, and within four or five about five months, Bruce Willis wanted to make a movie about my life, actually. And I said, no, not about me. It has to be about this unit. Uh, and so you can see Bruce and I on television about that. But I never finished the book because I stayed in combat and ended up over in Afghanistan. I started going back and forth between Iraq and Afghanistan. So I would go, you know, I did tons of combat in Iraq. And I went over to Afghanistan and did the same thing. Then I would come back and go back and forth, shoot over to the Philippines, see how they're doing in Mindanao. Uh, covered some fighting in Thailand, back to Nepal, covered I didn't actually write about the Maoist. I was just watching them. And, uh, and so uh, I just stayed in wars for a long time. And, uh, and I got to where that was kind of second nature, actually. And that was why I picked up such a huge readership on the uh, war. But then I started focusing on things that took me out of the American audience. For instance, my Hong Kong hat. I got kicked out of Hong Kong last year because I was giving CCP you might see it on television where they, you know, uh, he kicked me out. And, yeah. uh, but I mean, uh, I, I'm, things are, I, I, I'm things are bad there as well. What's that? Things are pretty bad there in Hong Kong as well. Oh, I was there during right, uh, when they started the, uh, real uprising there in 2019 in June, I was, and I was about to go back to India, actually I'd just gotten vaccinations to go back to India. Uh, cause you know, the disease is such high in India, but I, then I, I saw what happened in, in Hong Kong. There was two big protests, and I asked some friends who were on the ground what they were seeing. And then I thought, you know what? This might be an insurgency starting. So I canceled India, and I flew to Hong Kong. And I stayed for about the next seven months until they kicked me out in February. They kicked me out in February of 2020, right when the uh, pandemic was kicking. Steve Bannon called me up in January, and he's like, do you think this pandemic is real? And I'm like, well... I'm not an epidemiologist or a virologist, but I'm wearing a mask. I masked up on January 11th because, um, you know, I study war. And if you're going to study war, you have to study. If you're going to do a good job of it and not just be a rifle monkey, if you're going to really study war, you have to study pandemic and you have to study famines and human migrations because these all go together, right? So if you get a big war, you're always going to get a pandemic and you will always get a famine and you'll get human migrations. If you get a big, big pandemic, you'll always get war and they, they, they go together. It's like the devil's triangle and, the, and then the migrations always come with it. So even when I was in Hong Kong in 2020 or 2019, they're throwing tons of Molotovs. I would be doing live streams, which you can still see online. And, and I would stop and I would be talking about swine flu or I'd be talking about avian flu, you know, different uh, outbreaks in China. 
because I watch that stuff. And uh, because I, I come in, I come in real contact with the stuff in places I go, right? And so then in December, I started to think, huh, I think there's something real going on here in China. Uh, and uh, and I've, I've had masks and PPE for years. I didn't need any because I'm, I'm ready for a pandemic. I mean, I've got two years of food stacked up. I don't have to buy one. You know what I mean? I'm ready to go. And so, uh, but most of the world's not, right? And so uh, in January, I started to think, I think this is real. And so I masked, when I realized it was person-to-person airborne on December 31st, Taiwan uh, researchers said that. I masked up on January 11th, and then Steve Bannon started War Room, and I was on about the second or third show, actually. Uh, and uh, then they kicked me out of Hong Kong. And uh, but, but So basically, 2020, I spent reading tons of books. So I, I really enjoyed the pandemic because I got to read so many books. But the, uh, but the bottom line is, is like right now I'm just finishing a book on tuberculosis because the migration of the uh, uh, the the migrants who are coming through Afghanistan, Pakistan, Nepal, India, all over Africa, they're coming into South America. They're going right to the Darien Gap, not you know down the road from here, and they go up the Pan Am Highway, and they take that tuberculosis, which is now antibiotic resistant, and they take it all the way up to the United States. So, wow. you know, tuberculosis is one of the worst diseases in all of human history. It, it's, uh, it killed maybe even up to a billion people. Nobody knows how many, but it's a huge number. Yeah. And now we've got, uh, you know, uh, anti, uh, we've got uh, a resistant strains of it. So that's why, that's why it's very important. If you're going to study the higher level of war, you have to pay attention to pandemics, epidemics. You have to pay attention to famines because well, these so. things all go together and migrations go together with this as well. So that that's what I'm doing now. I've been down in the, been down in Colombia. Now I'm in Panama. After this, uh, I may go by land up to the United States, up through Costa Rica and, and Honduras and all that, Mexico and back to the United States, or I might just fly back to Texas because I want to see what's going on. Uh, you know, obviously what's happening on our border is an epic level national security issue. Yes. I mean, the United States is clearly uh, heading into civil war. I've never seen it clearer. In all the wars, years of wars and conflict I've been to around the world, uh, the symptoms are quite clear. And, you know, some people will accuse me. They'll say, oh, you, you want a civil war. That's why you're saying that. I'm like, that's bullshit. Spoken like someone I mean, who hasn't been in a war zone. That, yeah, I'm like, I don't, want a, I don't want a war. That's why I am saying it. Because we're not, we, we are in a very low level war now. That's quite obvious. Yep. But if it goes fully kinetic, uh, which it could do. And if it does, it would probably start uh, anytime now. Uh, it could start, you know, in uh, uh, April, usually with the with change of weather, when it gets to be warm weather, that's often when these things will c- kick off, like April, May, June, July. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like first, our, our Revolutionary War started in April and our, and our first Civil War, or if you want to call it, our 1861 to 1865 Civil War started in April as well. I mean, a lot of these conflicts will start with the coming of warm weather. I don't, I don't know when or if we will get into a truly kinetic civil war, but the conditions are set. It's like a dry forest. And it, it, a lot of people ask me, what would be the spark? And I say, I don't know. 
in a dry forest. It could be lightning. It could be a kid with fireworks. Uh, watch it could what, be an arsonist. Look at what the, the Biden administration or the uh, Obama administration did in Ukraine with color revolutions. That that same tactics is, is something they tried on uh, January 6th, and they, they were really hoping for a major event uh, and still hoping for an event like that, that they can use the color revolution tactic to, to, to spark something. It is definitely a worry. Are you familiar with all with uh, La Raza's writings and the goals of La Raza? No. La Raza is a, a, a Mexican nationalist group that is radical by far. And, oh yeah. 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 yeah, yeah and yeah, believes that the West is, is basically a Mexican territory and their goal oh, yeah, is absolutely. to, I'm familiar. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, yeah. Yeah. And their yeah. goal is to, you know, to infiltrate the West and, and get people in, in positions of power in, in our courts, uh, local communities, uh, on up to, to the House and the Senate. And they have already accomplished that in places like Maricopa County um, and other places in southwest Texas. And uh, so I wonder kind of how what they did with the election with an all-out approach attack from all angles – um, do you see that as well coming um, during this next year or so from the border? It, kind of an all-out, all-angles uh, assault on uh, the sovereignty of America. Oh, clearly. I mean, they're coming at us like an octopus on acid. I mean, from all kinds of different, uh, organically, from within the United States, and then regionally, for instance, Mexico, uh, and then internationally, for instance, CCP is waging an epic level uh, uh, information war. Russia's always busy with that. And then we've got more minor players like, uh, you know, uh, Iran. And uh, Iran's not a minor player in the region, and they could cause all kinds of problems. But when it comes to information war, they're kind of a minor player compared to, say, CCP. CCP is gold medalist, and yeah. Russians are silver, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so, and they're constantly attacking us, and they're quite good at it, especially China. China is now much better than Russia. I used to think Russia was, was the gold medalist, and they were. And yeah. then China has supplanted them. They, they, China hits us with so many. I've written three books about this, actually. They're all in Japanese. None are in English because I'm trying to wake up the Japanese because they're targeting Japan, uh, Korea, uh, American relations. They're trying to split that defense triangle. And they've succeeded with uh, Korea and Japan, actually. I first started warning about that in 2014, that they were working to split that. And then last year, 2019 pretty heavily split Korea and Japan, but last year they put the nail another yep. nail in the coffin in 2020, and that's all yep. of the divide and conquer strategy. And speaking of divide and conquer, a lot of things that Americans say, well, look at what they're doing to us. And since I spend most of my time downrange, I'm in I'm in Panama, the country of Panama right now. They're doing the same thing here. I mean, the Panama Canal is not far from me, right? They're doing the same thing here. They're trying to get local people to speak their local dialects and languages, trying to get the uh, local Indians. They call them like the, the different types of Indians here. They're trying to get them to, to make, to form into minority groups, just as they do in the United States. They do the same thing in Japan. They're doing the same thing in Korea. They do it in Thailand. My office is in Thailand. Uh, they do it. They, I'm seeing them do it all over the world. So Americans who don't get, don't go down range much, might not realize that we're not the only one who's being targeted like this. And the Chinese are very good at it. They're doing the same in Africa. Uh, they're doing it in, uh, oh, good Lord, Pakistan. It's, it's just goes on and on. Um, when do you, are you, were you able to track the migration routes of how people are getting from Africa and uh, uh, the Middle East into South America? What, 
how how are the is it are they is it boats is it how how is that happening yeah it's pretty well known actually that's not hidden because they, they come in the front door when they do it like that uh i mean they may come from say congo they'll go to some other okay let's just talk about this Sikh man that i found in the jungle about uh, two weeks ago down on columbia side and he was from punjab in india i saw him up the hill inside the darien gap we were just on the like a kilometer inside the jungle. And I saw him up there and I'm like, that's a Sikh man, you know, because I'd spent, I've been up to Punjab in India, so I can identify. I was like, Sikh man. He's like, hello. And I, you know, I walk up to him and, you know, and I'm like, you're from the Punjab? And he, you could tell he was confused. Like, like, how's some white guy in the jungle in Colombia know I'm from Punjab and I'm Sikh, you know, because he's not wearing his turban or anything, you know. Right. I was just like, I can, I can spot a, I was like, I was like, I see Sikhs all over the world, man. They help me out everywhere. I love Sikhs because they, they really do. Yeah. I'm not, I wasn't blowing smoke. I, they helped me in India. They helped me in Nepal. They helped me in Thailand. They helped me in Hong Kong. I mean, they helped me everywhere. So, uh, so I was, you know, so we got along immediately. I was like, what are you doing out here? He's like, I'm going, you know, to America. He's going, he's about to go to the Darien Gap, but he, so he flew from India to Netherlands, right? So I'm telling you the route that he came because he told me, I've got it on video. So he flew from India to Netherlands. He was using a, a, a smuggler from Brazil. He said the smuggler uh, stole all his money. I'm like, well, there you go. Uh, you know, and uh, and then he goes. Uh, then from there, he went to Suriname, I think. Suriname, I think he said to Brazil and Chile. And I'd have to look at my video. And at Ecuador, and then up to Colombia, and that's where he was at next. And so if if he survives through the Darien Gap, then he'll be up in Panama. He'll be here. And then he'll have to get to Costa Rica. But so the route, okay, here's what happens. The ones who can get uh, a, uh, you know, a visa straight to the United States, they just come to the United States and just either stay or claim asylum, uh, get pregnant or do something, right? Uh, if they can't do that, they'll go to, there's a lot of people that can make intermediate steps, like get into Mexico, right? Mm -hmm. If they can get into Mexico, then they just got to get across that border or into Canada, right? It, then they just got one, or if you're in Canada, just stay, you know? Uh, yeah. but, um, but, it, it, but if they can't get it, if they can't short circuit and get straight to Mexico, then they'll go, like, this is, now we're talking about, like, Indians that can't get a direct visa, uh, people from Congo, Eritrea, I mean, about 150 countries. So long list, just name them off, right? Mm -hmm. They'll go to South America. They'll often go to Brazil. They'll either go to Brazil or they'll go to uh, Chile or Ecuador. And then they'll, they'll all funnel up into Colombia on the top. So then they end up in Colombia and then they end up at the edge of the Darien Gap and then they enter the Darien Gap and then they go up into Panama. So they come through that filter right there. So they, they get to South America by any means necessary, often just flying, and then they do their thing. And, uh, and they end up going through the Darien Gap, and those who survive will get picked up by Panamanian authorities. They'll get their identifications will be written down, so we know mostly who comes through there. We don't know everybody who comes through the Colombian side because not all of them will go through passport control on the Colombian side. But in Panama, almost everybody. It's very difficult to get past the Panamanian authorities on the other side of the Darien Gap. And if you go down there and look at it, you'll understand why. And so, um, and then from there, Panama helps them get up to Costa Rica. And then they just keep heading north. So that's how it happens. They get to South America, funnel through Colombia. That's why we were in Colombia. 
get into Panama, and it's a straight shot. It's um, we we are told by the mainstream media and everybody who wants to tell us uh, how to think that these are refugees that are in desperate need of coming to America because their lives are threatened where they are at. That is the basis of a refugee. That is a basis for seeking asylum. The basic laws of America say that you must be threatened in your country or a threat of life to your, your life or family in the, in your country in order for you to, to pass the law legally to come into America for asylum. Um, somehow, uh, these people are traveling from the middle East, uh, Africa, uh, all over uh, Asia, um, finding ways to get here. Where's what's the funding behind this? It, it, we know that that Soros's Open Societies has a big play in how the uh, how these uh, caravans are able to move up through South America. But how else are these people finding the money to do all of this? Well, I mean that's the key question, and it's a very good one. And I've already been writing about it. Now, um, let's talk about safety for a moment. Well, many of I've been to many of the countries they come from. You know, I'm like, I've spent a year in Nepal. I spent almost a year in India. I spent uh, oh, so much time in there. So I, so when they say, uh, are you there? Lose you? No, you're good. Okay. Uh, when they say that, you know, they're running from war or whatever, uh, there's very little war in India. There's one area with the Maoist uh, issues, but otherwise most of India is quite peaceful. I mean, it's crazy. It's India, but it's uh, peaceful, right? Uh, likewise with Nepal. I met seven or eight Sherpas over in Colombia a couple of weeks ago, and I've been right to, I know, I know where they're from. I've been to where they're from. It's peaceful up there. There's no war. Uh, I mean, it's Nepal, so it's not, you know, it's not, it's not as nice as, you know, say some nice towns in America, but it's not a war. And, and, and if they're looking for peace, Panama right here is peaceful. Colombia is mostly peaceful, right? So Ecuador is very peaceful. They pass through Ecuador. They pass through Chile, also peaceful. So they're going through all these peaceful countries. Now you'll look up El Salvador and say it's one of the most dangerous countries in the world. True, but there's big parts of it that are quite peaceful. Same with Honduras. Mexico, same thing. People go to Mexico for vacation, right? Americans buy homes in Mexico. So in, in, in uh, Costa Rica, they pass through Costa Rica. Uh, billionaires go t- on, on vacations in Costa Rica. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's not yep. like all of these countries are wild wars and they're passing through like a half a dozen countries that are peaceful countries. It's human osmotic pressure, hop, human osmotic pressure. When you Osmotic pressure, it can be negative or positive. The positive can be, let's say, a war and people are escaping, you know, Godzilla stepping on their head, right? So you're running from it, you're running from a fire, right? That's the positive pressure pushes you out. Then there's the negative pressure when we're like, we'll give you free stuff, come to America, there's the negative pressure. So in many instances, there is no positive, no serious positive pressure pushing them out. It's just, it's just the negative pressure sucking them in right? It's Biden and the rest saying, hey, come on over. You can get all kinds of stuff. And naturally, they would. There's also human osmotic pressure that I've experienced myself in America when I move from one place to another, right? Or when SpaceX moves from California to Texas. That's also human osmotic pressure, right? So it's not just necessarily people from Haiti trying to get to Atlanta. It's also SpaceX moving from California to Texas. It's people that... Uh, move out of California because California sucks 
you know, and I love California. I went to school in California. I went to Defense Language Institute in California. It's not the California it was when I went to school out there. When I went to school out there in DLI when I was in the Army, California was really incredible. I couldn't believe the place. And, uh, and it still, it should be one of the best places in the world to live. California should be the, everybody should want to live in California, but it's got that left-leaning government that is wrecking the place. So it's causing osmotic flow out of California to places like Texas, Idaho. We know where they're going, Montana, Colorado. Of course, we know where they're going. Yeah. So the human osmotic pressure is not just coming into America from Haiti or Cuba or something, uh, or Congo. It's also people within America saying, let's leave the blue states. Basically, the states that are causing this human osmotic or the, the type of thinking in the government that's causing this human osmotic pressure to suck people into the United States, the left pressure, the communist left-leaning thinking, is also the pressure that's pushing people out of California, you know, and out of yeah. Oregon. Like, I was just up in Portland and Oregon. Uh, you should see that place, man. I mean, Portland, Oregon, is, is downtown is basically essentially owned by the homeless in Antifa. I mean, it's pathetic. It's yeah. absolutely pathetic. And they don't have to live like that. They've chosen to live like that. Yeah. And the, the conservatives that are there, if you go to Oregon, Oregon's a wonderful state. If you get outside of these blue hells like Portland, around Portland is really not, Portland would be, when I was in Portland many years ago, I thought, wow, this is a heaven. This is a great place. Then I came back this time. I'm like, what happened? What happened is it went blue shifted. I mean, it's just it's gone Democrats. to hell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me get. Poison. I want to get my bro in here to get, to get to get a question for you, man. Time just flies, man. No, you, I didn't even want to interrupt. Bro, you got you got bro, Michael before you <laughs> before you do that though. I, I need to get this. Sorry, Joe. I was setting this up here, um, and I I need to get your guys your take on this, Michael. What in the hell am I looking at here? Oh, that was at a hotel that I stayed at in Capergana in uh, Colombia. That was just a picture that was up on the wall at the hotel. And so that was, this was right at the edge of the Darien Gap. I mean, when I say at the edge, I mean like, you know, 200 meters away. So, I mean, this hotel is right there at the gap. And so, uh, and th this is like the final civilization until you go into the wild. And so this map at the hotel, uh, this is on my Patreon. And so you can see the other photos on my Patreon. So this map is just showing people at the hotel where they're coming from. And this town, Capergana, you can look it, at, look it up on um google earth and you can see it's at the edge of the little you know migration universe there this is a smuggling town cocaine is huge now in in colombia colombia has become the afghanistan of south america only colombia is cocaine and of course afghanistan where i spent two years it's opium right and, and so now you've got in addition you see the red part the red part is panama right and so the red part up there is where I'm at now, but I was in the orange. No, I was in that uh, light green part and the, and the orange part. I was in those two parts. And, uh, and, and yeah, and actually I was in the dark green part too. I was in, and so those are, um, that's where they launch off into the Darien Gap. All that, that where that orange and red meet, that's the Darien Gap, 60 gotcha. miles of intense jungle, right? And so you can see that choke point. And, uh, and so with, Colombia, which is, you know, the lower part here, you can, it's probably written there. Uh, that's where so much cocaine is growing now or being uh, harvested and, and refined. And a lot of that goes up with the migrants through the Darien Gap. 
So you got human smuggling. So you ask about the finances. That's a big question. So there's many ways to make money on this. One is the smugglers make money by, there's like the low level smugglers that just, you know, help you in their boat. There's that level. And then there's, you know, there's the low level that sells your shoes before you go in, that sort of thing. And then there's the higher levels, drug smugglers, forcing people to carry drugs and that sort of thing. And then there's higher still human trafficking. A lot of children go, and we know a lot of unaccompanied minors end up uh, on, you know, on the Pan Am Highway and finally into Texas and California and New Mexico and Arizona. And they're worth money. I mean, the children are trafficked. Prostitutes are also trafficked. I mean, they're worth that. The human product, it's a, they're, they are psychopaths. They're using children as a product. And so when, when they're laying out this red carpet, come North young man, you know, a lot of the people coming up are clearly military age men in their twenties, very stout. And then there's others that are just up coming up with babies. What are they doing with these babies? Are these their babies? Are these babies they kidnapped and they plan to sell? Uh, I don't know. Uh, one friend of mine, Chuck Holton, I mentioned him earlier. He, he talked about uh, an instance down there in the Darien Gap. One of his missionary friends is driving down the road and a lady's holding up a baby and he stops like, what's the problem? She's trying to sell the baby. She wants to sell the baby to get some money for whatever she wants. She's trying to sell a baby on the side of the road. Wow. You know, sees white guys stop by, you know, and tries to sell. I mean, this is the kind of sickness that's going on down there. And now when we've got the, you know, the current U.S. government, if you want to call it that, you know, uh, welcoming people to come in, they're just facilitating human trade in babies and young children and prostitutes. It's, 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 it's just like the government of psychopaths. It's, and it's facilitating drug trafficking, human trafficking, and uh, prostitution and everything else that goes with it. Tuberculosis is heading straight up the Pan Am Highway right now. Look, people that say that they can't shut this down, they don't know what they're talking about or they're they're lying. For instance, Panama shut down the entire country until less than a month ago. They shut this place down. The border, this place was shut down more than San Francisco, right? I mean, you couldn't even leave your house. You could leave your house every other day, right? I think it was Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays were for men and the other opposite days were for women and nobody could go out on Sundays. But you couldn't go out just on Monday on the last number of your national ID card. If the last number, if the last number was two, you could go, you could go out between one and three. So you could go out for two hours, like on a Monday. If the number on, on your ID card was three, then you could go out between two and four. Right. Wow. So whatever, the, whatever. So you go out two hours a day and you could only you had to nominate one person from your family to go out and shop for you. So in other words, all the men couldn't go out on Monday. It had to be just one man or boy, you got two hours and whatever's on your ID card, that's your time. If, if the number is nine, you've got eight in the morning <laughs> until 10 in the morning. And, and that's it. If you don't get what you need and you get caught on the street, you're going to get beat up or thrown in jail. And it's no joke. It's like they were totally locked down. The border was locked down. So they proved it's the varying gap is super easy to lock down because it's a, it's a very canalized place on both sides, the Columbia side and the Panamanian side, but people make money, right? And so on the, uh, so if we put political pressure on Colombia or Panama, either one of those doors would shut South America. Yep. So you got two doors right there, Colombia, Panama, either one or both. You don't need both. You just need one. And then the next one above Panama is Costa Rica, 
there's only one, there's only two countries that border Panama, Colombia to the south and Costa Rica to the north. So if Costa Rica shuts the door, then they're just going to get stuck in Panama. So Panama would then shut the door to Colombia. So if, if Colombia and Panama don't uh, cooperate, work on Costa Rica. If Costa Rica doesn't do it, work on Nicaragua. That's the next country. Yeah. So you got these, they, they you got all these very convenient places. Stop it in any one of these. They don't want to stop then, it. You know And that. then they'll back up. Michael, they don't want to stop it. It's it's how they no, fund they their secret don't. wars. Don't. It's how they fund their secret wars. It's how the Clinton Foundation uh, raises money for for uh, AIDS research in Africa, which ends up being another human trafficking scheme. It, it, they don't want to stop it. They want to make sure that they keep this going, and they want to really? make sure that they're making as much money off of it as possible. Meanwhile, bringing in uh, extra Democrat voters is just an advantage. I want to get my yeah, my, it's my about bro- apportionment. Exactly <clears throat> yeah. right. It's about apportionment, right? It's yeah. about more voters and apportionment. So the apportionment goes with the census, right? So if you get a million more people in California, California is going to have more influence in, in Washington because you'll get more representatives, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's like it's not just about more voters. It's about more voters and apportionment, So which they'll end up by flooding the United States with people that really shouldn't be here and who add nothing. I mean, really add nothing. There's a lot of... Uh, and people say, oh, what, you're, a, you're an immigrant too. And it's like, I get it. And guess what? You're not that smart. I get it, right? I mean, they, they try to get you with these, but we're all immigrants. And I'm like, yeah, my parents came over in 1609, right? I totally get it, right? But there are some fish that don't mix well in the same aquarium. And there are some people that they're going to overload our system, which they're already doing, right? And we're going to end up in a real war, not, not, a, not a, a war of words, but a kinetic war with highway shut down with places burning down look what happened last year with blm and antifa right and conditions are getting drier and drier for a big forest and all these different uh things are adding to it whether it's immigration whether it's the blm cult and the antifa cult these are cults right and they're facilitated by people that cannot control them they're like children playing with explosives they're 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 you know they're they're they think they can control and then boom like we see it immediately as soon as Biden was in office, Antifa and BLM started turning on Biden, just like some of us said they would. Yep. This is highly predictable for people that study this sort of conflict. This is like it's predictable. If you're an oncologist and you study cancer for 20 years or 30 years, there's a lot of things that are quite predictable to you as that uh, medical doctor that, that treats cancer. Likewise, yeah. with people like us who go to conflicts, and, and spend a lot of time in wars around the world. This stuff is fairly, you know, fairly predictable. Yep. Now, of course, it's like predicting a hurricane. We can't tell exactly what <laughs> when, it's going to do. But it's, you can so see we that, can, the, that, we that can, this is where we're going for sure. We I, can see it. We yeah. can see it's formed. We don't know exactly where it's going to go, but we know it's a hurricane and we know it's going somewhere. Well, study I mean, history. Study Marx's history. What did, what did Marx do after he consolidated power? He got rid of everybody who... who uh, uh, helped lift him up. That's the same oh, thing that's going to happen to the Democrats by the ChaiComs. One, the, the ChaiComs thinks they're going to stay. Or the Democrats think they're going to stay in power in this new world government, um, based on Marxist principles. They don't realize that they're going to be the first. They're going to be replaced and get dumped to the curb. I want to get my bro Joe in here. I know he's dying to ask you a question, Michael. I I didn't know where where to interject. There was so much good stuff there, and I'm kind of uh, stumped at the moment, to be honest with you, but. I guess, you know, you were talking about China's influence in, uh, you know, the United States. 
since you've been in so many other different countries, um, I guess part of my question would be what kind of influence do they have in some of the other countries? I mean, we know here in the United States, I mean, they literally own our land, our water, uh, our schools, everything. Is that same kind of influence in, in some of the other countries that you're in as well? Oh, yeah. Uh, for instance, the Confucius Institutes. Uh, I, I was writing since 2004. They should be closed down all over the United States. There's Confucius Institutes in Thailand where my office is. Hong Kong, I was inside of that one in Hong Kong, the Confucius Institute. There's one like a mile, not a mile from me. There's one like 500 meters from me right now. There's a Confucius Institute. <laughs> wow. right? I was at it two days. When I was doing my uh, war room pandemic with Steve Bannon two days ago, uh, I, that was in behind me was Confucius Institute. He wanted to talk about, uh, uh, you know, the, the Columbia and Panama, the Darien Gap, which we were talking about. And I'm like, well, but let me put Confucius Institute behind me too, because <laughs> Panama is obviously has the Panama Canal, right? And so China is heavy here in Panama. Chinese own all the stores and stuff. There is a heavy, heavy, there's only 4 million Panamanians, right? Uh, and so, I mean, this is a, this is a, and this is a, one of the most strategic pieces of terrain on planet earth right here. And it is inundated with Chinese information war and not just information war, but actually just buying stuff. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and taking control of the government. And I've flown down to, to Australia to, to look into this and brief some government people as well down in Australia. They're doing the same in Kiwi land down uh, New Zealand, obviously up in Canada, they're just totally suckers for it with that left government. Uh, and many Americans are, for instance, and I was just in San Francisco researching the same thing. I was in San Francisco, what, maybe five or six weeks ago, researching this. You can see me online with some live stream. Yep. I mean, so this is something I study around the world. The information war from China is heavy in Nepal. They're doing the divide. I spent a year in Nepal. They're doing divide and conquer. They're doing the same in Bhutan next to uh, Nepal. I flew up to check it out there. They're doing the same in India. You know, they, and uh, it's just everywhere. Everywhere it's divide and conquer. Their strategy is divide and conquer is very, very effective. It is. It's, it's proven technique. And, and, you know, you add uh, other globalists teaming up with them who uh, have Agenda 2030 in mind, have a one world order in mind, and are, are using um, basically Americans uh, to fund, uh, you know, the, the, what they're trying to get done. And it's just, um, it, it's baffling to me, Michael, that we can't get this message out. I, I, you talked about Steve Bannon, and I know that, uh, you know, potentially today you had a, another opportunity to talk with him. Was there a specific uh, discussion that, uh, that, that Steve wanted to talk to you about today uh he wants to talk about the border dairy and gap in particular but now he's talking with i think one of my friends up in texas actually on the border todd bensman todd bensman is somebody you should get on your show by the way uh he's he's a very serious player it, look him up on amazon he's had a book come out on the on, on the uh on the uh border issue todd is bensman b-e-n-s-m-e-n yeah todd bensman uh and he's just had a book come out on, I haven't read it yet because I'm finishing this uh, book on uh, tuberculosis. Then I'm going to read Todd's book. Gotcha. And uh, but, but I've been with Todd in Texas and down in uh, just uh, day trips in Mexico. But he's a uh, he's a very serious player. He came from the intel world. He didn't come from the journalism world. He came from the intel world. And so you know he's he's coming at it from that perspective, not as a journalist. But now he's writing articles about it and uh, and quite a lot. And so I introduced. Uh, him to Steve Bannon. Bannon has him on sometimes now because uh, Todd Todd knows his stuff. So you know he's down there rolling around on the border, as are a lot a lot of journalists are right now, which is good. Uh, and another thing that we want to 
call attention to is the Darien Gap because you got that northern triangle of Honduras, El Salvador, and Mexico. That's where about 85% of the people come from, more or less. And then the, the other 15% that are coming from the south border are coming through Darien Gap, which is still a huge number. And so, um, uh, and so that's why I'm down here covering this part for now. And then later I'll move back up to north, back, you know, of course, Mexico and Texas and all that. We only have like three minutes here before we're going to get to the top of the hour. We're going to have some great callers call in, and, and I'm going to pick your mind here after that as well, after a, uh, t- after a news blitz. Can you tell me some of the – what's the difficult stories that you see uh, in, in, the, in the jungles of, South Amer- of northern South America? Um, I, I, I've seen uh, – once you see a, a tragedy in a little girl's eyes – it's something you'll never forget, and it's something we, we got to interact with the locals when I was in Peru. I've told this story to a few people before, and it's something that I'll never forget. I'll never forget the look in that little girl's eye. It'll stay with me for the rest of my life, and it's partly what brings me to, to where I am right now, trying to bring these stories uh, of the truth about what it's really like in these places. What's some of the tragic stories you've seen uh, in South America uh, on these uh, people just trying to in theory, make a better life for themselves, I guess, is what they're trying to do. But but what's some of the things that you see that are that are difficult to, to talk about? Well, uh, uh, just maybe four weeks ago, down in uh, three weeks ago, down in uh, Colombia, uh, the famous journalist Masako Ganaha from Japan, she's down there with us and Chuck Colton, three of us. And we saw, or Masako saw a, a young girl from Haiti named Medese, and uh, she speaks actually Spanish. You know, of course, you know, Haiti's uh, French speaking, but, but she's been in Chile with her mother for a couple of years. She's 16 years old. So Masako started doing the Google Translate thing. And, and Medese, being a pretty alert 16-year-old, was, she was telling, oh, her dad's from Dominican Republic. This is her brother. He's 12 years old. His name was Miguel, actually. And, uh, and they've been living in Chile for a couple of years. They came up through Ecuador. And she's just like this re- really bright, young 16-year-old and uh, she looked quite innocent and happy, and she's just about to enter the Darien Gap, where, according to Chuck Colton, the many people he's interviewed that survive and get to the other side, every girl and woman is raped. You know, so we're sitting there watching her about to go in, like, she's about to get raped, and, uh, you know, and possibly murdered, and, uh, and, and then all these mothers carrying their babies and whatnot, knowing that people could be could kill their parents and steal their babies just to sell them right i mean but they don't seem to know this uh talking with medese she's like oh no we're just gonna walk through the jungle and then we're gonna be in panama and she didn't seem to know right that that and of course if you're her mother you wouldn't tell her oh yeah we're gonna go through and her mother probably doesn't even know because if you're a human smuggler you wouldn't tell your customer that oh yeah for five thousand dollars i can get you raped and your husband murdered you know right. what I mean? You, 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 it, that wouldn't be part of the advertisement. And so they seem to be very ignorant about what is ahead of them. And some of them are out there right now as we do this interview, because every day more of them enter. So it's like a wagon. So no, there's no wagons. It's not a wagon train, but some of them are walking into the jungle with sandals for a 60 mile hike up mountains. Wow. Look on, look on Google earth and look at the Darien Gap. Look at some of those mountains out there. Look at how thick that jungle is. You're going you're gonna to be stunned. You're going to go, whoa, you're going to walk out there in sandals. They're carrying like uh, 
plastic uh, trash bags of supplies, you know, like a trash bag, not even a rucksack in a lot of cases, you know, going out there wearing stuff that you really wouldn't even want to, you know, walk down an open beach with. It's just not good gear for walking, you know, but they have no idea what's ahead of them or they've never been in that sort of environment before. You know, just because somebody comes from uh, uh, India or Congo or something, it doesn't mean they know about jungle. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean that at all. In fact, they probably are not from jungle. They're probably from some city or they wouldn't be able to, uh, you know, cough up the money to get over there to begin with. Uh, it's just uh, the human tragedy of this is it's, it's hidden, but it's immense. It is. And it's um, I'm, I'm basically showing some of the pictures while you're talking of the Darien Gap um, that, that I could find real quick on a quick Google search to, to get, uh, so people can see what you're talking about there. Uh, let's take a quick break, Michael. Thank you. Um, I mean, it, these stories are just so important, and I really appreciate you taking the time with us to make sure that these stories get out. Let's do a quick uh, news blitz from Joe. Let's get a rapid fire going here. And uh, if you want to comment, uh, feel free to hang out. If you want a 10-minute break, feel free to do that as well. And then we'll take your guys' calls with Michael Yan uh, right after the uh, <clears throat> uh, intro here. Let me get the intro going, and then we'll get from Joe, see what he's got going on here. Joe, there's your quick intro. I, I, I have to play that every day just because I love hearing the uh, uh, the A10 go off. There's nothing like seeing. <laughs> and hopefully uh, to ask my, Michael some questions. The first thing I wanted to talk about, which I don't want to talk long about, but the first thing I wanted to mention was obviously Biden had his first press conference uh, today. And I caught this 25 second clip, Abe. I don't know. Have you seen this yet at all? Have you watched any of it? Yeah. Yeah. Did you? All right. So here, let, let me just let play me, the last see. like 20 seconds, like last 10 seconds. <laughs> As you can go ahead. Uh, shoot. There we go. Yeah. Now it's going to, now it's going to mess with you. <laughs> Would have been fine if you just would have played it. <laughs> up a re-election campaign yet, as your predecessor had by this time. <laughs> My predecessor need to needed to. <laughs> My predecessor. Oh God, I miss him. He says, my predecessor, oh, God, I miss him. <laughs> I couldn't believe he said he misses Trump. I wonder why he misses him. Probably because he's under a shit ton of heat right now with everything that's going on. That's all I wanted to talk about as far as that's concerned. Nice. Uh, th since we're talking about, well, actually, no, I'll do that last. Let me hop over to this. Supreme Court makes it easier to sue big companies and police. This out of uh, NBC or CBS, one of those news. Uh, the rulings make it easier to sue for alleged vehicle defects in states other than where an auto is made and sold and for police to use excessive force. So the Supreme Court today handed in two decisions. Um, one made it easier for consumers to sue companies that have a nationwide presence and hold police accountable for excessive use of force. Ah. Uh, Interesting, interesting. What also is interesting is both of these 
uh, or neither of these, Amy Coney Barrett was not part of. Um, so that was kind of interesting there. Yeah, I'll have to look into that one more. Technofog dropped this. Um, this I thought was interesting. One last word on Governor Noam. We kind of uh, talked about her yesterday about some of the stuff that uh, uh, she had discussed in regards to HB 1217. I just wanted to highlight one thing that Technofog said here. What we need uh, is serious legislation that would protect women's sports and withstand legal challenges. HB 1217 doesn't do that. Governor Noem's revisions don't do it either. All of this is a long way of saying there are really two parties at fall here. First, look to the South Dakota legislation or legislature for bringing such a flawed law to the governor. And second, Governor Noem should have offered revisions that would have strengthened the law and removed any fatal vagueness 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 or constitutional problems yeah so you would think there's yeah so there's a lot more actually behind what uh techno fog said i just took that little part out of it but he i thought he did a really good job of breaking down what's really going on and why uh gnome did what she did now obviously this could still go either way because as you said yesterday abe it's going to go up to the supreme court well, she's going to have to make a decision on whether or not she really wants to to uh, save women's sports or not. It's that simple. There's no black and white or there's no gray area in this. You either save women's sports by not allowing men who can't compete with men to compete with women or women's sports gets destroyed. It's really not. It's really not hard. Exactly. Exactly. So next one I had for you was actually Corey Diggs. We had talked about um, a, a two year old that had got kicked off a of Spirit Airlines uh, plane yesterday for not wearing a mask. And that was a two-year-old, I believe he was autistic. So there was no way the mask was going to stay on. Now Delta airlines and the TSA are target and intimidate passengers without cause. So more stuff coming out. Um, of course, Corey Diggs does a great job at all of her articles. She has everything here. I would definitely check this one out because there is a lot going on with, uh, these airlines and, forcing these um draconian measures if you if if you want to say yeah they're like they're like children that that never had any kind of power and now they have a little bit of power and they're just they're just every chance they get they're using it it's exactly what she says bottom line employees of airlines can disregard tsa and cdc guidelines unjustifiably target an individual report that individual and it becomes a a compliance history record that gets saved, documented, and shared with third parties. But that individual is not allowed to appeal the warning. Imagine if they had decided to fine her, and it was her word against the flight attendants. It might behoove everyone to video and document all airline confrontations that happened to yourself or others nearby. That's really good advice. Go ahead, Joe. Good stuff. Absolutely. Zero Hedge had a great article out as well. Papers for the pub. Johnson shocks by signaling support for vaccine passport to enter pubs. This is unbelievable. Um, you know, we've had, I'm sure uh, I'm sure our uh, UK correspondent, Denise, out there have something to say about this. Yeah. I just good want- luck with that. Good luck with making uh, uh, Brits uh, get a vaccine to go have a beer. Good luck with that. I know. Right. Uh, jailed Michigan, this is a gateway pundit, jailed Michigan restaurant owner set free after being forced to close her pizzeria business and pay a $15,000 fine. 
Oh my God, this kind of shit absolutely irritates me. Um, what's even more irritating is this lady actually fled Soviet Poland for freedom, jailed by Whitmer for serving food. All together now, everybody flip off Whitmer. Fuck off, Whitmer. I mean, it's just unbelievable, dude. I mean, this lady, lady literally fled Soviet Poland and opens up a restaurant in Michigan, and now she literally had to shut it down and pay fines. The good news here, guys, is she does have a GoFundMe, and she's raised about $250,000. So let's hope that makes enough money for her to move to a red state and get the hell out of Michigan. I just wanted to touch on two more quick things here, guys. Talladega Night star Houston Tumlin dead by suicide at 28 after he tragically shot himself in the head. Why does Houston Tumlin sound familiar? Because he was actually the star of Walker Bobby in the 2006 Talladega Nights, the ballad of Ricky Bobby. What also I found interesting was this gentleman was also in the military and uh, I think he was with, yeah, there he is. U S army. He was part of the 101st airborne. I do believe I can't find it now, Hmm. but just an interesting story. The, the uh, girlfriend or wife was actually home at the time that he killed himself. Uh, Another child actor that has gone through, uh, you know, Disney's uh, little uh, child trafficking and sexual perversion uh, platform kills themselves. There's the story there. Well, that's kind of what I was thinking about it as well. Just two more quick things I want to cover, then we'll give it back to you, Abe. This one was super uh, interesting. Actually, Sidney Powell dropped this. David Harris Jr. confirmed Democrats, uh, Democrat operative was giving secret Internet connection to network where ballots were being counted. That's right. Really? That's right. Emails show that Michael Spitzer uh, Rubenstein, Wisconsin State-led uh, for the National Vote at Home Institute, was not only given four or five keys to where absentee votes were being counted in Green Bay, Wisconsin, but that was also given two internet connections at the site. No such I thing thought, as voter fraud. Don't talk about voter fraud. You'll get banned off of YouTube. Can't, there's no I such thought thing. That we, I thought we couldn't connect to the internet with those anyways. Mm-hmm. So uh, super interesting story there. Another one. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I have two more real quick. FBI states that knives kill far more people than rifles in America. That's right. You heard that right. Knives actually kill far more people. Well, they're going to go after that next, just like they do in the United Kingdom. They're going after knives there as well. So, Yep. And then the last one I just wanted to cover since Michael was on was over 23,000 illegal aliens released into U.S. by DHS in the last two months. Un freaking believable that's all i got for you guys as far as the rapid fire back to you brother good stuff appreciate that very much joe and michael thank you for spending uh, that little bit of time i, I, I want to highlight your websites and that information here real quick and find out how we can help uh we have a a very generous uh community here that um when they find people that are doing great work and are putting their lives at risk like you are um uh, they want to help. And so here's how you can help. Here's the website. It is uh, uh, Michael Yan on Patreon. The link's there in the chat and will be in the podcast links as well as on the website here uh, shortly after the show. I'll get all that stuff up so you guys can find it. So help, if you can help him out, uh, join on his Patreon. He's got all kinds of great content on here. As you can see, this is just one story about the Darien Gap with uh, a, a video story or a picture stories of what he sees there, which really brings it home for you in a way that, uh, the mainstream media, I think, doesn't want to. I don't think they really want to show you 
the truth about human suffering and what's really happening here. Uh, if you scroll down a little bit more, you can see the history of, of where he has been in Panama. And here is that uh, human osmotic pressure, osmotic pressure that Michael was discussing about how just kind of uh, natural human uh, movement also plays in this. Companies play in this. There's a lot. There's a lot at. Uh, there's a lot to the equation of of human movement and human uh, 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 routes. Um, if you scroll down a little bit more, it also talks about Panama. He's got uh, almost a thousand posts in here from all the way back. Uh, all the uh, great work that he's been doing for a long time. Check it out when you guys get time. Patreon.com backslash Michael Yan. Michael Y O N. Check that out as well as. Um, Michael online, Michael Yan online, Michael Yan dash online. <laughs> if I can get it right, uh, the website also will be up there in the chat and everywhere else. You can see here a discussion about the Darien Gap and CNN encouraging women and children through the through the jungle of rape. Uh, like uh, you know, just as Michael was just talking about the truth of 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 the harrowing story that uh, people are putting themselves through um, with the help of globalist powers. Um, and uh, our other in uh, parts of our government as well. Daring Gap, Seek in the Jungle. There's that story there as well. Hmm, nice owl on your shirt there, buddy. I uh, always notice that uh, as well as other stuff as well. So check that out when you guys get time. Check out the websites. Michael, thank you for uh, for waiting there for uh, a moment. Um, when, I want to get to our first caller here in in just a moment, but um, when you look at what's at how governments enable this type of behavior. And and how uh, Marxist ideologies and the socialist ideologies have infiltrated South America. One of the things that I saw in South America that was just amazing to me was the, the amount of tribalism that that was happening back then. So this is like ninety three to ninety eight. Uh, I was there in ninety seven, I think it was, um, and we were fighting the, the Shining Path, and and they have now uh, rest, uh, you know ascended to power in some ways uh, in South America. When I was there, I was just amazed. Like Panama, uh, Panama City was a beautiful city, except for the fact that they used the rivers as their sewage system. Has that changed yet? What is it like in South America? Are they finally coming up from what I was shocked to see was, you know, forts that I would build with scrap wood as their houses and and, and ditches in the side of the road for their sewage systems. And, uh, you know, it's just a very primitive way of living. That's how I picture South America. How has that changed since uh, since I was there when I was in uh, 1997? Well, Colombia, I'm sorry, I'm in Panama now. I was just thinking about Colombia when you said that. Uh, Col- uh, Panama, I mean, where I'm at now is compared to the last time I was here, which would be the, 20 years ago before I went to the wars. It's a lot cleaner now. But uh, it's if you want to compare this to, say, Japan or Germany, then it's very, very dirty. If you want to compare it to uh, some of the really dirty places I've seen in the world, like India, then this would be very, very clean, Panama. So it's somewhere in between. Uh, India is like northern India is unbelievably dirty. Uh, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's just epic. But, the, um, uh, but here in Panama, it's not quite as dirty as I've seen in many countries. On a scale of one to ten, let's say nine being India level dirty and let's say one being Japan. Uh, I would put it at about a uh, five or six. Did they clean up yeah. that air, that river area there, right downtown where TJ Fridays is, and 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 it was just it smelled when I was there. It smelled like a sewage pit. Yeah, like my asthma. Actually, I haven't smelled. One of the things I noticed first when I go to countries is how does it smell? Uh, and you know, co- communist countries always stink. By the way, <laughs> uh, not that this is pa- Panama is not communist, but every communist country I go to stinks. 
and uh, and some of them really stink badly. Uh, but the, um, uh, the they call that miasma, by the way, the really horrible smelling of organic matter rotting. And for many years, they thought miasma created everything from tuberculosis to oh, just long list of diseases. Everything yeah. uh, was blamed on miasma. Um, but uh, no, it's yeah. It's, it's not as dirty as it was last time I was here. It's, it certainly could be a lot cleaner, but it's not India level or, or Nepal level dirty. And, and what are some of the things when you're, I mean, you, you told, you said that you were basically in the jungles of, of Columbia and, and south of there, you know, what, what, tell us some of this, what it was like. I mean, how do you, how does one go from America to getting themselves in the middle of the jungle and, and safely and out of there safely? To, to me, that just seems like a, a risk that, isn't one worth taking. I, I, that's how I would see it or no, a normal person would see it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it, it's not safe. I mean, it's, it, I mean, there's no way it's funny. A lot of people have asked me like, how do you do work correspondent work safely? Do you use a telephoto lens? I'm like, mm, well, no, there's no safe way to do work correspondent work. <laughs> and, uh, and a telephoto lens won't work. You need like a wide angle lens. If you're really doing work correspondent work, there's just no way to do it safely. I mean, there's ways to do it less dangerously, sure. Uh, of course, uh, and there's many ways. I mean, I, I could teach a whole university course on that. But I mean, there's, I mean, but the bottom line is, it's just dangerous. Uh, and and but I've spent years in wars, and I've only caught one ricochet actually, and a lot of that's just really, really luck. Uh, wow. You know, just super luck because people yeah. around me have been killed many, many times. It's just uh, luck. Well, I've had the opportunity to speak to some great veterans in special forces and other places, and they'll tell you that uh, some of the things they see, they have seen, are beyond luck. I'll <laughs> just put it that way. <laughs> um, yeah. Let me get my first caller in here today. Uh, Denise is our uh, UK correspondent, I like to call her, with, with love. Uh, she uh, lets us know what's going on across the pond, and uh, she's a great caller, and I would love to get her in here. Let me make sure that she is ready to roll. Uh, no audio yet, De- Denise. Uh, if you could connect that microphone, and then you'll be all set. I'll go ahead and get uh, Texan in here, so whenever either of you are ready to roll, uh, I know Texan is the is the gentleman Michael that I was telling you about that's down there in Texas and um and and sees this stuff. Let's just get them both in here and we'll just have a conversation with everybody. Uh, Denise, if you can, uh, go ahead and unmute if your if your mic is ready. Hello. Hello, Denise. How's the tea today? There she is, Denise. Hey, how are you today? What's on your mind? I'm good. Although I have been naughty in your chat. <laughs> yeah, well, he deserved it. I mean, you know, it's it's one yes. thing to question uh, Michael saying a statement that a seventeen year old was a Navy SEAL. It's another thing to be an asshole about it and and you know question the man's integrity. Um, exactly. Just look the, look it up in the internet for yourself and do the research uh, instead of just being a dick. But go ahead, Denise. Exactly. Do your research before you open an ill informed mouth. <laughs> Got that um, right. <laughs> yes, just. Just a brief comment on your Boris thing. Yes, Boris. Boris is doing that. He's being he's being pressured. Although there is an out, he says that it's up to the places themselves whether they ask for any verifications. And the easiest way to stop that is for you to work with your wallet. And if places turn around and say you have to have a piece of paper, say, well, I'm not coming in your place then. I'm going to that place that will let me in without a piece of paper or verification. But your guest, Michael, 
uh, fascinating guests. I thought I'd lived a diverse life and travelled and seen a lot. But my goodness me, you knock socks off what I've ever seen or experienced. And more power to you. Thanks, Denise. I appreciate it. I take it you're over in England now? I am, yes. I, I live um, not far from Stonehenge. Stonehenge oh, is about... Oh, I've been out to Stonehenge, yeah. Yeah, that's about 30, 40 minutes away from me, south of me, oh. so... Oh, you're down one of those Roman roads. I, I live in the middle of a lot of ley lines, yes. <laughs> I've been out there when I went with when I went to the Iraq and Afghanistan with the British Army. They in, invited me back, and some of the soldiers took me out to Stonehenge. Yeah, well, the, there's a lot of army, um, and there's a big training camp. There's a big training area on Salisbury Plains, as you probably know, if you've yeah, that was visited. it actually. Yeah, um, they do a lot of exercises in there, multinational exercises as well. But yeah, it's a lovely part of the country. But um, my hat's off to you. By the way, out of curiosity, um, have you noticed any great shift in people's migration since President Trump was unceremoniously ousted by um, Mr. Biden? Oh, yeah, it's clear, actually, because right after the inauguration, I was in Washington for the inauguration and I flew straight to Texas and on the border there at El Paso and also New Mexico, but principally El Paso area, uh, Customs and Border Patrol agents were saying that the increase was, I think, three to 400 percent. It was quite a lot. And they, and they were very upset. They were some were saying that they're not even going to abide by Biden's ethics, by his uh, by his orders that they, they're just going to continue to send people back straight to Mexico. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it was immediate because under uh, Trump, there was a big buildup down South of the border. For instance, Juarez, we went to Juarez and we went to, for instance, one hotel was called the Ursula or Ursa or Ursula hotel there in Juarez and some Cubans were staying there. So we interviewed the Cubans, uh, Chuck Colton speaks Spanish and uh, he's a war correspondent that I was with. And, uh, and they had been waiting for a long time. They had been waiting for about a year or so, as I recall. I'd have to check my notes. But um, so there's a lot of people waiting right down there in northern Mexico. And as soon, soon as, uh, you know, Biden got into office, they started going for it. And we were out there daytime and nighttime watching them trying to get in, trying to get uh, past the Border Patrol. And the walls helped quite a lot. Of course, people Amazing yeah, people will retort and go, yeah, people can get over the walls. Of course they can, but it's a filter and it slows. It's a it's another filter that really stops most of the people or it slows them down or channelizes them long enough that Border Patrol can get there. The walls definitely help. Yeah, it's an amazing concept, isn't it? Denise, you want to hang out for a little bit with the Texan? Let me get him in there. Yes, I will hang out with the Texan anytime, any place, anywhere. <laughs> What's up, brother? <laughs> hey, Denise, it was lovely, uh, our conversation that we had the other night. Uh, that little 10-minute conversation went a lot longer than I thought it would, but it was, it was lovely talking to you. It really was. And, uh, hey, uh, Mike, I, uh, you know, I'm from Texas. I'm down here in Texas, and 
there's a lot of news that doesn't, you know, make it out through the country. Uh, people hear every now and then, you know, around about the about the smuggling uh, in the freight industry, the 18 wheelers, you know, the big trucks. And this stuff happens every day. And it just doesn't make the news anymore like, like it used to. Um, it, it was like, what was it, a week ago? I posted it on uh, Abe's Discord. It was like a week ago they had uh, a tanker full of uh, uh, 80 illegals that snuck across the border in a tanker. And this tanker was completely airtight, sealed. And, and they left them in there driving down the road and they started suffocating and dying. And the 911 call, I posted it. It's horrific, man. I mean, it's horrific. These people were screaming out for, for air, for oxygen as people were dying around them, children and women and everything. Uh, have, what, what, do you, what do you know about those techniques at all? Have you witnessed any of that at all? Not down here, because down here, uh, and when I was up on the Texas border, I was just on the, I wasn't uh, monitoring the roads coming in. I was just going out like Monument 32 in New Mexico and that sort of thing, checking out the walls. And down here, down at Darien Gap, there's you can't get here. You can't get through here with the best Land Rover on earth. I mean, there's just no wheeled vehicle can possibly get through here. Uh, so down here, down by Columbia, Panama, it's just not an issue. But as you know, every once in a while in the news, you'll see like a bunch of people die in the back of one of those. Uh, where are you at, by the way, in Texas? Um, I'm, I'm in, I'm in Dallas and, and I, I drive, I drive local now. I used to drive, you know, all 48 States in Canada, but not, not anymore. I'm, I'm local here in Texas. Pretty much my corridor I run is I 35, the main corridor that, you know, the human trafficking is, is running. Well, when I get up there, it'd be good if we can get a lunch together or something and talk about this. If you've been watching it closely, uh, cause I'm coming back to Texas. Cause obviously this, if, I might have to end up moving to Texas, you know, because I'm not going to stay in some place like California when I come back to America. It's going to be Texas or Florida. You know, I'm from Florida. And so, I mean, the, 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 Texas still has a real government, you know. Yeah. Uh, but some of these some of these other states, Oregon, good Lord. I'll tell you what, man, and uh, I'm serious as a heart attack about it. You come to Texas, you come up here to the area, uh, look me up through them guys, and uh, I'll, I'll take you out for some barbecued brisket or ribs. I'm down for it, and I'm going to Dallas for sure. I may be up there within maybe six weeks, something like that. It won't be two years. It'll be like the next month or two. Absolutely, man. I mean, I, I look forward to it, man. It, it'd Michael, be an honor to hang out. I'll get you the Texans' uh, contact information uh, in an email right after the show. We'll, 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 we'll cop, well, I'll put the uh, link to the podcast and the website so that if you want to promote the show today, you, you can do that. Also, I'll get you in contact with uh, the Texans so you can set that up. Thank you. So anyway, I was going to say, uh, I, I'd really hate to be the dude that has to uh, help you uh, top up your resume, man. <laughs> no, I, that, my main job is to go create networks because, you know, when you're in this sort of work, it's all about information, right? So the first thing I did when I came back to the United States was go straight to Portland, Oregon and, and started working on my network to watch, of course, Antifa and BLM. And that sort of thing. Then I started heading out to other places like Atlanta and Washington, D.C. And, and uh, I mean, that's why I've been so successful at War Correspondent Work is that first thing you do, set up your network. And uh, the people that have their own vibrant networks are important people to get in, you know, to add to the add to the, the matrix so that we can share information because information is crucial. Like, for instance, when I uh, reported about uh, what 
less than 10 days ago or so that CNN is basically doing infomercials down here uh, in Latin America in Spanish. Like, you know, you can go up to America and here's the ways to get in. Here's the states that'll take you. Uh, I, I did. I, I talked about that on Steve Bannon's war room. And then immediately uh, CNN started saying, no, 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 we're not doing that. So it does have an effect. It does put them on alert that we are watching, you know. Absolutely. The more vibrant that our network is, and we have to work at one of the main things that we can do, like spend at least an hour a day building your network, because it's going to become increasingly important to us. That's a really great point, Michael, and I, and I would I would love to um, book you as a regular guest if you're if you're willing to do so. Maybe you know you don't have to do the two hours every time, but maybe once a month we can check back with you, and you can let us know what what you've been seeing and help spread that word out there. We have um, if you get a second, check out the Foxhole app. It is basically a conglomerate of citizen journalists from all around the world who have come together to do podcasts to to spread the information, uh, and we're trying to get more exposure for the Foxhole app because. We've been banned everywhere else. I can't even get on Twitter. I've, I'm getting banned off of YouTube for for showing uh, Richard Navarro's or Navarro's evidence, Navarro report, uh, evidence of voter fraud. They they took those videos down, and all it is is reading the report, Navarro's report. That's all it was, and so it, they are going hard after us to, to to drop us. So if there's a way we could expand this network of of citizen journalists that are all around the world with the guys like Steve Bannon and stuff and yourself um, to help us spread the word on these type of networks. It's very important for us. And I think, I think it would be great if we could do that. Like at least on here on this channel once a month, if you don't mind. Count me in, you know, if we don't do it, nobody's going to do it. We're Americans. We get up in the morning, we do something. I mean, it comes down to us. Obviously this government's not going to do anything. Uh, I mean, there are, some, again, there are some real governments like Florida, where I'm from, and Texas. They're actual governments that actually do something worthwhile. And then we've got some others that are just part of the problem, like California and Oregon and Washington State. But, you know, again, I spend a lot of time out on the West Coast. And it's not like the whole place is blue and crazy. It's not, that's not true at all. A lot of them are very sensible people. Millions of them are, you know, just disenfranchised. Yeah. You know, that's why we see people that want to split off and make their own states out there. I'm totally for it. You know, <laughs> it sounds kind of radical, but, you know, the more I look, the more I'm like, oh, I think they got a point. You know? well, we got a problem. We got a major problem in this country. And it's, you know, Americans haven't aren't fully awake to the fact that we have a major subversion and major infiltration in America that is is pushing America into Marxism. All of the signs are there if you just open your eyes to it. Denise, I know you wanted to get in for a comment, or Joe, go, go ahead. Let me be quiet here for a minute. Uh, go ahead, Denise. Yeah, I don't know if you got anything it's on, on you guys. Go ahead. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm listening avidly. Okay, no I, problem. I have a, go I ahead, have a question, if you don't mind. Uh, Michael, you were talking earlier about the, the cannibalism. You kind of opened up you know, um, your story there about the cannibalism. Uh, and... You know, I've heard a lot of wild stories about, you know, the Hollywood scene out there in California and the cannibalism. Can you can you pretty much say that that that's that is a a reality out there or is that just a bunch of conspiracy theory rumors? Uh, I don't know about California. And and for me, and keep in mind, when I was hunting cannibals, it was more, uh, you know, it, it was let's just say it was fun. You know what I mean? It was like some guys like to go big game hunting and shoot a buffalo in Africa or something. I went hunting cannibals, you know, <laughs> so, right. so it's not like a lifelong passion or something like that. It's just Florida boy goes to the, to uh, India and gets on the trail. And, you know, and I got to use every skill I ever learned, you know, everything from tracking to stalking to everything, you know, it's just 
it was a lot of fun but i mean it was actually quite dangerous but uh but there it's a religion called agor and it's a it's at least 600 years old it's a subset of uh, hinduism and they believe actually i can explain this religion in like uh 15 seconds the core of it is they believe that god or the gods made everything and therefore everything is perfect and therefore if you're disgusted with anything you're disgusted with god so you should do everything nothing should disgust you so including cannibalism so that's that's it in a nutshell so they'll just do if you can imagine it they'll do it and you know i'm sure you got a good imagination about stuff that's disgusting they'll do it yeah that's quite disturbing that's uh yeah that's quite disturbing to think of <laughs> <laughs> i know i mean and he's he's from texas the one i tracked down was from houston so i'm not casting aspersions on you from dallas and all that. <laughs> he, listen to this he got he was born on uh, december 3rd 1950 his dad was an army officer i got photos from his dad in world war ii in papua new guinea his uncle was flying from india over the hump over the himalaya to uh to china during world war ii i mean his dad was a straight up like hardcore real american you know what i mean like i've i talked to his dad before he since he's passed away but um his dad was like he was an army officer he ended up being a a uh, a partner in um price waterhouse coopers and that sort of thing you know and, and so it, they were like a core american family and then one of their sons goes off and does that you know it's like a piece of popcorn popped or something i don't know but so but you know what weirdly i think it you could really uh boil this down to it started with a pandemic because in 1952 polio was a big Pan, or epidemic in the United States. There was a big, huge outbreak in Los Angeles County and another one in Houston, right? So Houston and Los Angeles were the two epicenters for polio that year. And he's from Houston. So he was two years old then. In June of 1952, he got polio and it shriveled up his left leg. And so for the rest of his life, he was trying to find some miracle cure to fix that leg. And I saw his leg. I mean, it looked like, you know, basically shrink wrap bone. You know what I mean? It was like really mm. shriveled. And he was trying to find a cure for it. He couldn't find it through any means. He tried being pescatarian, eating only fish, fruitarian, eating only fruit, which he said was terrible, and and uh, vegetarian. And then you know, and then he was eating human flesh. I mean, he was trying everything. So well, weirdly, it's actually got some. It didn't come out of craziness. It came out of desperation. I think. I, I understand that. Yeah. Uh, you know, you talked about hunting them and catching them. What'd you do after you caught them? I just took photos and whatnot. I took videos and photos and got a lot of information. And uh, now the Indians who do it, they are, uh, that's just the old religion that they just do. And then a lot of Americans go over to India, not just Americans, but Westerners and, you know, French and whatnot, especially people from the West Coast. It was kind of strange that somebody from Texas did it. Like people from Florida and Texas and Oklahoma, they don't generally do that leap, right? But you'll see a lot of people from California, especially like San Francisco, Los Angeles, uh, that West Coast, Portland, Seattle area, and up into Canada, that West Coast area, a lot of them will go over to India and just totally get into it, right? They'll just totally uh, become that new religion and, adopt and join these cults and whatnot. But like if you see somebody from Texas or Florida over there and you ask them, what are you doing? They're like, I'm just checking it out. This place is terrible. You know what I mean? And, but if you see somebody from San Francisco, they'll be like, isn't this wonderful? You know, you're like, uh, no, 
<laughs> no, well, I, I was I was gonna say I was gonna say real quick. Uh, you know, you say he was from Texas, and yeah, that that is kind of, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of heartbreaking right there. But if you'd have told me he was from uh, uh, Southern Louisiana and he is a Cajun, it wouldn't have surprised me a bit. <laughs> I hope that, they're not watching. They'll, they'll eat anything that walks, crawls, flies, or climbs, and it's even been rumored if it talks, too, you know? <laughs> that sounds like South Georgia, too, where my grandfather was from. By the time I went to SF Survival School, I was like, I already ate all this stuff. You know, it's like, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, we, I mean, we would eat, you know, armadillos and everything, you know. When, you're, when your grandfather's from South Georgia, you know, that's basically same thing, like hill tribes. That's funny you mentioned yeah. that. When you, when you mentioned survival training, I don't think a lot of people really understand what that means. Um, basically, you either survive or you die. <laughs> yeah, it, I was hungry, that's for sure. Especially Wait, we, if we were hungry because we were doing the rest of the Special Forces course, and you're out there working pretty hard, you know what I mean? And so your body fat's quite low, and it's not like you got a lot of bank account of fat there to, to rest on, and you're just working so hard. So it, it, it was pretty hungry. The Roadkill Cafe is, is a real way of life in some places, believe it or not. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Man, that's what, like, the, some of the people I see over in uh, Southeast Asia, they literally will stop and get something, get off the road. I mean, if, not if it's old. They're not going to do that. But if it's fresh, they'll definitely do it. Right. A lot of people in America don't understand that, but, it you know, it, yeah. it does happen. Oh, if I was hungry, I'd do it in a heartbeat as long as it's fresh. Can I, can I just say that um... – it's not it's not just in America. I think a lot of the and I'm air quoting here civilized world don't understand that in um, less civilized worlds, cannibalism is quite common. And it's done, as as Michael said, for religious reasons. Um, it's done for a multitude of reasons. There are people that eat their relatives when they die because they they think that they're taking on board their relative soul or part of their relative soul. Um, it's not uncommon. And this, this white pig thing that is often associated with cannibalism is something that is thing? used. White what pig. White, white pig. Oh, white pig. pig? Yeah, they'll call it long pig or white they pig. call it long pig or white pig, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, um, Michael, what is, can you expand on that? Uh, long, when I say I'll eat roadkill, I don't mean humans. I'm talking about if somebody hit a deer and I was yeah. hungry and they just hit it right in front of me and it wasn't too bad, of course I'd take part of it. <laughs> no, white, white pig. What's that? I'm not talking about a person. But long pig, they call it long pig because if you go back to the earlier days of exploration, whether it was uh, English or Spanish or Portuguese, yeah. they would leave pigs all over islands all over the world. Because that way, when you come back, the sailors could come back and the island would have a lot of pigs on it. Like when my family sailed from England in 1609, they got shipwrecked in Bermuda. And there was pigs there because I think 1503 or something, there was a Spanish mission left a lot of pigs there. So they had huge amounts of hogs on that on Bermuda at that time. There was no Indians. Hmm. There's no Indians on Bermuda. And so, so there was pigs all over. That's how they got into the United States or America back then. That's how they got into all those Pacific islands. And many of the Pacific Islanders were eating uh, humans back then, and people taste like pigs. So they would call it long pig. That's where it came from. Gotcha. And actually, Gary, I call him Gary the Cannibal, GTC from Houston. His name was Gary Stevenson. Uh, he said he was related to Robert Louis Stevenson, who wrote, you know, Treasure Island, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. 
and he was all out in the Pacific. And he he talks about long pigs and long pig in his in his South Pacific books. Interesting. And actually, yeah, Gary the Cannibal told me he was related to him, and and, I, and his daughter did a DNA test for me, and I tracked his family tree, and I and I was able to confirm a lot of things, but I was never able to ca- actually confirm that he's related to Robert Louis Stevenson. Robert Louis Stevenson didn't have any known uh, children anyway. But gotcha. it's interesting because he was originally from uh, Gary. I call him Gary the Cannibal. He'd be like, Michael, don't call me GTC. Just call me Kapal Nath, you know, you, and don't call me Gary anymore. <laughs> his, his first name and was Gary Stevenson. And don't call me What's late that? for lunch either, right? <laughs> oh, man. He, and he'd tell jokes just like, I mean, the funny thing is, is he was still a little bit of Texan in him, but he had gone completely like left wing San Francisco, but deep down inside, he was still proud to be from Texas. And he would just be, he would tell all kinds of cannibal jokes. So this is literally a cannibal telling cannibal jokes. Wow. I got a lot of video of this. I mean, it's just, a, it's just weird. It's like, you know, when you go to war and you tell a lot of jokes that they're funny to you when you're in the war, yeah. you know what I mean? But they're, they're not, not funny. Not so funny. To, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's the same with the cannibal stuff. I mean, it, it, it just, I got to show you some of these videos someday. It's just epic. Yeah. Especially from a out. guy from Texas. And if he had been from San Francisco, it wouldn't be much of a story because it'd be like par for the course. <laughs> but, you know, but but being from Houston, you know, that's that's pretty epic. Sorry, Denise. I didn't mean to cut you off there. I wanted to I want I needed to expand on that. You, did you want to finish your question or your comment? Oh, no problem. That was that was my comment that it, that cannibalism isn't as as um, as out of this world as people think it is. It is it is quite common in the. Um, Far East and Philippines and South America, um, way down South America. Um, that was all I was I was trying to say that um, the Western world has sort of forgotten that uh, it's quite common. And actually, the Western world used to partake as well. Yeah, Denise is right. She's absolutely right. I didn't realize that though until I started tracking them and started reading books on them. I was like, I thought this was all in the past, and then I realized that it's actually not. Isn't it? Isn't it very prevalent in like the Pacific Islands? Yeah, uh, certainly was before. Uh, definitely was, uh, and that's why they called it long pig. That's where the name came from. It, the the term long pig or white pig came from the Pacific Islands. Denise, uh, you may know this. I know the story, but I forgot all the details about it. Uh, World War II, uh, a certain island, uh, a British colonel, I believe it was, uh, they they uh, they 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 belonged to uh, you know the British Empire, the island did, and anyway uh, during, during World War II that they, they lifted, you know they, they had outlawed uh, cannibalism in their culture, the British did, but then they they lifted that and let them uh, hunt the Japanese soldiers, and uh, and uh, headhunt. Are you familiar with that, Denise? Yes, um, but it's it's a lot of the, that's the kind of hidden history. Um, Brit the, the English don't like it to be known that they used to condone that kind of behaviour. <laughs> but yes, um, that sounds like Malaysia. It, it, Is that Malaysia? Yeah, it, I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, I forgot the but, I forgot the details about it myself, but I, I you know I remember the story vaguely. But um, I think it was it was in the um, the Far East. 
it was in that area but um there's a lot of english history that's sort of buried because it's a bit distasteful um but we we uh we had we weren't we 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 always have been a bit shady <laughs> well, I, I can i can tell you this uh from what i remember it was a very very effective uh psychological campaign against the japanese they were scared shitless of those natives yes um but it's it's like it's like most things if people are starving and they gotta eat they they have to take on protein from somewhere be it from the wor- from the worms in the ground or their enemy and it was a lot of that that's what i'm saying about it's more widespread than you think because a lot of cannibalism is people eating the enemies that they killed Michael, you absolutely you, right. Yep. Michael, you talked about uh, Portland a little bit, and I've been trying to get uh, people to, to really explain uh, the truth about what's what downtown Portland is like. And and a lot of people just minimize it and say, you know, it's a it's a block or two of of uh, of area that's just a disaster area of of you know what what downtown Detroit used to look like basically. But but what's the truth about downtown Portland, and you know how big is that area, and and what do you what's you know what's some of the stories that you saw coming out of there as well well i was out there with antifa i'd rather be out with cannibals to be honest with you <laughs> i mean that i mean they make more sense the cannibals were not even insane but the antifa people seem like a bunch of nutters you know Damn. i mean i mean a lot of them are clearly on drugs and clearly not exactly all there and by the way i was at the capital attack i did not go inside but yeah. i was physically we were present. there too I didn't go and so you know it, it there was a lot of them there. There was a lot of false flag going on there, as you know. Wait, wait, wait. And so, Hold on a second. This is now. Now we're talking because when when you argue this with people, they say that there's that there was definitely agitators there that were that were bringing the crowds, and we were there. We saw exactly what happened. I filmed it live, and 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 that video also got taken down um, before I got home, which was interesting. Um, just parts of it just kind of disappeared into thin air. Um, but we, we watched as there was like uh, groups of two that were going push forward and, you know, doing stuff like that. And, and then we know that we have this paid actor Q shaman, whatever the hell he is. And, uh, an Antifa person were the first two that were in the building. How is that possible, Michael, that those were the first two to be in, in the building? There had to have been coordination that you saw, uh, from the Antifa side of the house in, in an infiltration technique as well. Yeah. You know, and. In fact, I may have been on the air on the airplane with John Earl Sullivan, who was the BLM Antifa guy, you know, because he came in from Salt Lake City. I did, too. Actually, I was out for meetings in Salt Lake, jumped on an airplane and went to uh, and went to Washington. And uh, now keep in mind, when I wasn't cannibal hunting, I have spent years in actual wars and in and in, uh, in, in many, many protests. Like if you looked at my 2019 I was in at least a hundred of the big protests in Hong Kong. Um, that's why I'm wearing this Hong Kong hat, right? They kicked me out of Hong Kong in uh, February, uh, which I'm proud of when China kicks you out of someplace, you know, you, and you, um, you know, you did something right. Yeah. And, and, and people kept saying, they're going to kill you. They're going to put you in jail or whatever. And I'm like, it is kind of, you know, this, this is real. Uh, but there was uh, one thing I've been in so many protests, whether it's Thailand uh, even a lot more in Thailand that I've been in, very violent, very kinetic, a lot of deaths, 
I mean, like a couple thousand wounded and killed, that sort of thing. Like, like, not not just beanbag rounds, like ball ammunition, five, five, six. You know what I mean? And so I've been in hundreds of these, whether they're the United States, Hong Kong, Thailand, Nepal. And when I go into them, I'm automatically, as I walk up to the Capitol that day or other things, I'm looking for cells. I'm automatically looking for cells and you can usually find them on the edges before they go in or when they come out and they'll often sit on the ground together and they'll often have some kind of recognition symbol it might be a shirt might be a hat might be something you know uh and the, but they'll typically have recognition signals right um and, and you can just you know when i i'm always looking for ap's agent provocateurs which is actually interestingly a term that most people didn't seem to hear about until about january 6th because uh-huh. uh when i when, when I uh, left and I told Bannon what I was up to, then and Giuliani asked me for help. So I spent two days helping him and I briefed him up and I was like, you know, this guy here, helmet hole man, he's clearly an AP, the guy that did the helmet. Uh, you know, the, uh, and there was clear, because when I walk for a lot of people that the, a, I call, you know, APs, the agent provocateurs, they seem like something exotic. They're no more exotic to me than alligators in Florida. You know, I grew up in Florida catching gators and whatnot. And when people from up north would come to Florida, they're like, are there any alligators around here? I'd be like, yeah, right there. You know, right there but beside that log. Really? Yeah, right there. See it? I'll throw a stick. You know, wow. You know, it's very exotic to them. But for me, it's not. And it's the same thing with APs. I've been to, into so many uh, protests in so many countries that they're quite normal. And they've been around, I mean, the word agent provocateur, I think, was coined in about 400 years ago, right? I think about in the 1600s, I think, yeah. uh, in France. And uh, so it's an old thing. You see it all the time. One time in 1979, I think, when when some of Ross Perot's uh, employees, I think two, uh, were, were taken uh, hostage in Iran. They were put in prison. And uh, Ross Perot asked a uh, retired Green Beret, who was of all things, uh, a pig farmer in Florida. Uh, and, uh, and so he retired Green Beret goes to be a pig farmer in Florida. So he was. And so Ross Pro asked him to look at the situation. So so Bull Simmons goes over to Iran and somehow whipped up a, a, a big protest and he got his APs, his agent provocateurs, to go do a jailbreak, right? And, and they got the two Americans out took them over to Turkey and were clipping phone lines along the way. And Bull Simmons knew one of the Turkish generals and got him into Turkey. Right. So, I mean, hmm. APs are, if you, anytime you have a big crowd, you know, a hundred people, a thousand, 10,000 people, you can get some of those people to do your bidding. Right. If you've got the bull horns and if you've got the go forward, like you saw, I was there, I saw the same thing. And Come it's, follow it's, me. They were like, it's in like Antifa's statue. It's in Antifa's right? tactics book. They they talk about how they do this. It is. I read I read their their Antifa handbook and yep. and quite a lot of I just finished Andy No's book on Antifa as well. I mean, and so yeah, it's right out of their book, which is right out of SF book, actually. It's right out of many books, right? I mean, so this is old, old stuff. So it's, there's nothing exotic about it. Now, what you've got is you've got your APs, agent provocateurs, of course, false flags. And then you've got something else called clowning. Clowning, uh, uh, hold on, I think I'm getting a message here from Steve real quick. Just a uh, clowning is, uh, no, we're good. Um, uh, clowning is a technique. It's not, a, it, 
remember, not all APs are false flags, by the way. Those are separate. You can be an AP and be a false flag, or you can be an AP and not be a false flag. You can be authentic, right? So agent provocateur is this thing, and sometimes there are false flag agent provocateurs. And so- Thank you for um, clarifying that. Yeah, that's very important. And, and so uh, same with clowning. Clowning, not calling somebody a clown like that guy's a clown, that guy's an idiot, but clowning in information operations is somebody who, it's a, it's a form of false flagging. It's when somebody pretends to be uh, on your side or some side and then does idiotic stuff all the time, but not necessarily AP stuff. Agent provocateur is like, hey, let's go hit the building or let's go burn this thing down or something. But whereas a clown is just more like, hey, you know, I'm pro second amendment. Let me take my rifle into McDonald's and start shooting it out the front door. You know what I mean? Yep. So we all look like idiots. Yep. That's a clown. So we, so clowning is a very effective tool. For and instance, what happened used, at that uh, Pizzagate store, for instance, that's a clown. Go ahead. Yeah, clowning, clowning is a daily, it's, a, it's not exotic. It's like turtles sit, sunning themselves on a log on a Florida river. You see them all the time, every day. There's clowns all over the place. If they're really good clowns, they're very hard to tell if you're, like I, I watched this video this morning somebody sent me from Twitter and this lady's singing this crazy song about lockdowns and stuff. And I'm looking at it going, that's the worst thing I've seen in a month. And that's pretty bad. <laughs> And then I showed it to Masako Ganaha, a Japanese journalist. She's like, maybe she is a clown. You know what I mean? She, I was like, well, maybe you're right. I, That's, I don't know. Yeah, QAnon shaman. Because, That's a clown. That's Masako's getting good. At, yeah. getting good at spotting this stuff. So because hold on, let me let me clown, let me expand on this real quick here because I need I need yeah. to get this out. So for instance, the guy that shot the PizzaGate hard drive. That's a clown. The QAnon shaman. That's a clown. The guy who supposedly killed the Gambino family guy or whatever that, that wrote a cue on his hand last minute, that's a clown. P- people do not understand that they are using these people to smear what is basically just a pa- patriotic movement. So I, wanna just cl- I wanted to just get that in there real quick. Also, I got five minutes left. I want to get last words from Texan and Denise, please. Texan, go ahead, sir. The, the, the clowning stuff, that, that's, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, there's agent provocateurs. I, I've I've always, you know, I've seen that, and I, I like the way you broke it down and explained that uh, about the clowning, um, it, it, like, like the guy that they found, uh, uh, golly, this was a, a while back, the uh, the white van that was supposed to be, uh, he, he he went in, he shot a bunch of people somewhere, and then they found his white van, and it had the Trump stickers all over it, and uh, the paraphernalia, and then they got the real good uh, camera shot of it on the back of the tow truck going down the road, I mean, that would be considered a clown. Uh, it could be an AP, or I mean, I'm sorry, it could be a false flag. But remember, clowning is a form of false flag, actually. But it, but it's such a specific form of false flag that it's good to 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 know and be able to say, hey, that's a clown. It's not just a not just an AP false flag. It's the specific type. It's a clown. But again, really good clowns are hard to tell. They just look like like somebody. You're like, you know, who is this guy? You know, and, and is he on our side, but he's an idiot and he's making us look bad? Or is he clowning to make us look bad? I talked to I, him I in you. Phoenix, for instance, and he, and he is he's really good actor. He really he gets the all the little things and gets all that stuff. But when you end up being the first person that goes into a, a thing and you just happen to be that first guy there, uh, that's that's an example of how they use people like this to smear a whole movement. And the mainstream media just watch them as they spin that narrative. And, you know, uh, that they're, it's being used as an asset. I'm, I got to let you guys go. Denise, last thoughts? 
No, no, um, uh, just a um, great show, Abe and Joe. And your guest was magnificent. Very interesting conversation. And I'll just leave it at that. Thank you, Thank Denise. Thank you, Denise. Have Thank good, you. Have a good one. And you. Good night. Good night. Good night. God night. bless you. Text them. Any last thing? No, man, that's it, man. I really enjoyed the show. Uh, Michael, you, you're awesome, man. Uh, you're very riveting and, and very riveting and entertaining. I look forward to meeting you when you come to Texas. And I mean that with all my heart and, uh, all right, Al, Alan, Joe, thanks for having me on again, man. Uh, you guys have a great evening and uh, I'll see y'all down the road. God bless you. Out there. Take care, brother. Be safe. Yeah, I'll get you. Uh, I'll get you Texas information for sure. Uh, not a problem. Um, and I really do. I would love to um, to lift your voice up as much as possible. I feel like that's my role as a show host is to find great, intriguing voices like yours who are doing the work on the ground. And they're just you're not you're not able to get your story out there because they don't want these stories told. I really appreciate your time, Michael Yan. How can we as a patriot community help you? Uh, well, I've been independent since two thousand. Well, since the nineteen nineties, really. But I started doing. I put up a PayPal button first in 2005. And so that's how I've done this since 2005 is totally independent support, like on Patreon or now I got Patreon or PayPal and Patreon and other methods like that. So anybody that wants to financially support me, I really appreciate it and actually really need it. This is very expensive. You know, like right now I'm in a hotel actually. Uh, sometimes I'm sleeping in a $25 a night so hotel and sometimes it's a $125 a night hotel. I get it. And we want to help you. So we will do what we can. And uh, I would love to just continue to lift up your voice. I really, honestly, seriously appreciate your time. Do me a favor. Tell Steve Bannon I said hi and give him my information. I would love to have a conversation with him. We have to we have to find ways to to unite the the uh, the citizen patriot uh, journalist movement, as well as uh, great voices like yourself and Steve. God bless you, Michael. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it. You know how to reach me. See you all. Take care, Michael. Appreciate it. Take care, brother. Appreciate it very much. Michael Hahn and Michael Yan in the house. Let me just get up his uh, website for you guys and make sure you guys can find this stuff uh, so that um, uh, if you want to help him, uh, you can. So let me get this up on the screen for here for you guys. I want to make sure that if uh, if you want to help promote or help uh, support him, this is how you can do it. Here's the website, michaelyan-online.com. You can see here those donate links are right here. Uh, This is one I'll be reading after the show. Michael's dispatches from 7 February 2021. California Dreaming cognitive dissonance and the tar pits oh my god i have to absolutely have to read this one in fact i'm gonna drop this for you guys out there in chat that sounds like a great topic uh and then finally go over to uh the patreon here the link is right here uh patreon.com backslash michael yon y-o-n and you can help support him and you can help support great patriots like him that are doing the work out in the field to bring us the truth about what's happening in our disaster of a world with that i want to say much love god bless you all joel last thoughts before we let everyone go today no i appreciate everybody out there in chat but a ton of great comments uh other than the one uh everybody out there really appreciate y'all being here and look forward to the show tomorrow have a great night guys much love everyone god bless you all we will see you guys tomorrow for Foxhole Friday. I think we're starting that tomorrow or is that next week? Anyways, uh, well, not not tomorrow, but next week. So Foxhole Friday, we're going to start having some great guests on. Don't forget, next week we got some more great guests for you as well. With that, much love. God bless you all.
Treat the word impossible as nothing more than motivation. Relish the opportunity to be an outsider. Embrace that label. Being an outsider is fine. Embrace the label because it's the outsider.